Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Merry Christmas to all that celebrate it. We're uh, happy you're with us. Hope you had a great uh, Christmas. I'll sum up mine very quickly. My Christmas was uh, shoehorned into my two daughters and my two granddaughter schedules. Uh, so I got to, I got, I got some time. It's like going to a high dollar doctor. You know, they're experts, and you, you got to see them, and you want to see them. I love my kids. So we met on, we met last Saturday in Tulsa. So a nice 200 mile round trip for Grandpa and. Uh, we had a great meal and that was the main thing. You know, I've come to find out this the holidays. I'm growing past maybe my era of relevancy because I'm not so jacked up anymore about gifts. Right. I give them. Right. But I, I was really jacked up about sitting at a big table with my two daughters and their husbands and my two granddaughters all at one table having a meal and not getting any hurry whatsoever to rush out or get to get to another line or go to another house, just chill. And it was absolutely awesome. So I reevaluating some of those things and uh, hopefully I'll be able to spend more time with my kids. My, as a matter of fact, my youngest daughter, her husband have uh, expressed an interest to join us on pay-per-view in downtown Chicago on AEW coming up in February. So. I, cool. I, I want to do little trips like that every now. It's a kind of a cool thing. Come see dad work and, uh, you know, and, and enjoy the atmosphere. Cause it's going to be pretty cool. They sold out in 50 minutes. So, you know, people are going to be jacked up and ready to roll. Absolutely. They are. And we've had a lot of requests because, uh, Eric, Tony, and, uh, myself did a show last year at C2E2. And that's of course the first time that a lot of the guys like Kenny Omega and the young bucks had an opportunity to see the hype that is C2E2 in downtown Chicago. And yes, Jr. and I are, are working on putting together a show right now. And Tony Schiavone is fired up to spend everything that he earns at that show on Batman paraphernalia. So <laughs> it's going to be a fun trip, man. Whether you're a wrestling fan or not, you got to come check out CTV too. And if you're there, uh, I would encourage you to find some sort of scalp ticket situation because the AEW show in Chicago, you have to see to believe, man, you guys are in your element there. That's your real hometown crowd. Seems like it. And they've accepted us very well. Uh, you know, they're, they're willing to accept 
the blemishes as we grow. And that's going to be what you're looking for with, with, with a real true fan is that they're willing to be somewhat patient and understand that this is what we're doing in AEW, building a new brand, trying to get more talent over, uh, creating new stars, all those things you hear discussed freely. And sometimes even from people that know what they're talking about, uh, we just got to be, we got to be patient. So, uh, and I, and we, we tried the patience of some fans apparently here lately, but, uh, you know, none of the things that, uh, the, that are identified over and over again, uh, are uncurable. So I, I, I'm very optimistic Conrad. I do feel like we should mention, you know, the, uh, the video went viral gosh, last Thursday, uh, a week ago of the, um, the dark order, uh, beat down at the end of the show. And I think one of the, uh, the gentleman under a hood was trying to give the business and the what for to uh, Dustin Rhodes. And well, it looked a little less than awesome and everybody mm-hmm. had an opinion about it. Uh, and I think it, uh, unfortunately it may have put a damper on some of the fun that the young bucks are having because they promptly left Twitter the very next day. So uh, I I know that toxic, you know, Twitter exists in in the wrestling landscape. And when you can manage to run off two of the nicest guys that I've ever met in the wrestling business, you know, something must be amiss. Yeah. They didn't deserve that. You know, come on. Uh, uh, those kids didn't deserve that. They worked their ass off. Uh, They're dedicated to the brand. Uh, they sacrifice some of their own, uh, uh, clout. If you want to say that, or their own being over by putting other people over, then they get bitched up because they're, they're putting too many people over and if they weren't getting beat, then they'd be, uh, selfish because they're not putting anybody over. It's, you're, you, it's like a cat chasing, chasing its tail. There is no conclusion, none whatsoever to this scenario, but apparently people that do this, Conrad, this is my only personal take. I may be wrong have lonely ass lies. Most of them seem to be poor, miserable bastards with nothing else to think about, to invest their life in, especially here at the holidays, than a, uh, very poorly executed, uh, piece of business in a wrestling ring. It, and it's as if, well, we created this amazing sin that can never be duplicated. Hey, look, man. Since the seventies, how many matches do you think I've called that there were the absolute drizzling shits at every brand with some big names. You ain't got to be an unknown under a mask to, to shit the bed. Right. you know, I, I knew that the crowd did not uh, go crazy on the, on how how we went off the air because I was in the arena Right. and, uh, you can feel those things. If you've done long enough, you can feel a lot of things in the crowd their body English and their noise they make and their facial expressions, their stories being told that's great market research for all of us to pay attention to. So, uh, but I never knew how bad that one piece of business was until it was, was everywhere. And a lot of people want to make really make sure that I saw it as if I could go back in time and fix it. Right. Or, or I could pile on. It was poorly executed folks. And hopefully nothing like that will ever occur again. And I know everybody that, that has some ability to change things in AEW are well aware of it. So, uh, you know, I don't know what to say other than, you know, I, 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 if I had not seen that clip that went viral, as you mentioned, Conrad, I would have not known how, just how bad it was. Right. So, uh, Hey, 
not a great way to not the ideal way you want to go off the air, but God dang, man, come on folks. Uh, it really is. I, I love what we do. I I'm a, I, I'm a pro wrestling guy through and through more than most folks would ever imagine, ever dream. And maybe more than I should be sometimes, quite frankly, I should diversify my life as well, but I'm not on Twitter hiding behind a, 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 the keyboard being a big, big badass or, or self-professed wrestling expert. And here's what they should do. I'll talk about this on my podcast. Here's what we'll suggest. Okay. Well, whatever. I wonder if those guys that are doing that are actually suggesting these ideas to the right people in AEW, or if they're just broadcasting their own shit. Uh, so they get some clicks. I don't know that anybody know the answer to that. I don't know. So I think we can, everything that people saw can be fixed. I'm excited as excited about this brand as I've ever been. Uh, I know we're going to be just fine. I, I truly believe that Conrad. It's not just me bullshitting. You know, I I'm 67 years old with a three-year contract. You guys do the math. You know, I'm on the back nine, baby. And I ain't planning on going out of the back nine, uh, you know, uh, less than, uh, what I want and what I feel, what I need. So we're going to be fine. This is going to take some time and do. Okay. So the question is how much time I don't know. I don't know that answer. It could. I think in a, a year from now, we'll be able to see a lot of growth and a lot of things change, a lot of different faces and different roles, new talents coming in. Uh, but it's a hard act to balance, to get, to keep your incumbents, so to speak over while getting other talents over. So, uh, it's a, it's a hell of a deal. So we'll, but we'll be fine. I really believe that. And I was embarrassed to see what I saw. Did I like it? Hell no, I didn't like it. Who would, who could like it? Right. For God's sakes. So I'll follow them. I'll, I'll just admit to all of you. I thought it was the drizzling shits. So that'll be your buzzword to get your clicks on your websites. JR says bid on AEW was the drizzling shits. And you won't mention this, but the drizzling shits can be cured. They won't mention it. I'll guarantee you because they don't have the balls. They need one of our t-shirts, Conrad. The real reason we're here is not to talk about AEW or t-shirts or the holidays. We're here to talk about a holiday tradition called Starcade, the 1988 edition. This one went down on December 26th. That's right. Today is the exact anniversary from the Norfolk scope in Norfolk, Virginia. 10,000 fans are there. We're going to get a 1.8 bar rate for the pay-per-view. And the tagline for this show is true grit. And this is very much a different time in wrestling. You know, we're very much used to uh, a pay-per-view every month now, and sometimes two, but here in 1988, there were three. We had the uh, bunkhouse stampede in January, the great American bash in July. And now Starcade in December, closing up 1988. Of course, Starcade is a, uh, a holiday tradition. This one is going to take place the day after Christmas, but years prior, it was a Thanksgiving tradition. What'd you think of the idea to move Starcade away from Thanksgiving and closer to Christmas instead? Well, you got yourself away from survivor series, right? You, you, you know, unless you just like walking on the same side of the, side of the street that you got your ass whipped on yesterday. I think I'd probably move it to another date. And, uh, for many years, my, as a matter of fact, my youngest daughter and I were, and my, both of my daughters and I were talking about this yesterday or Saturday that, uh, uh, the fact that, you know, there were so many Thanksgivings and Christmases that dad wasn't there because we always had in mid South, we always had a big, that was major events. You know, Christmas night was, was a great night. Uh, and, uh, so 
and we had a lot of big events, especially on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving night was the Superdome. That's where I had to experience that God awful oyster dressing. How you can have, you cannot have cornbread dressing at a holiday. It's I believe sacrilegious. I believe it is a punishable offense. God, <laughs> God damn it. Folks. Cornbread dressing is a part of the fabric of Americana. For God's sake. So anyway, uh, uh, that, uh, I, but so I didn't have a problem with it, but it got us away from the Thanksgiving uh, ass whooping. And that was a good thing. So, uh, and, and again, in that, in most parts, most territories over the years and the generations, a Thanksgiving and or a Christmas night extravaganza was, uh, was a normal piece of business. So it wasn't a big adjustment. So I don't think it was a bad thing at all. So, you know, obviously it is a bit of a departure, but you know, one of the ideas is uh, to your point, survivor series is here. Now it was a major catastrophe Starcade 87 because of the shenanigans that Vince McMahon pulled with the pay-per-view distributors and the cable companies. So we've got to find a new date if we want to partake in this newfound pay-per-view money. But the idea of doing it the day after Christmas, I think is, is smart on a few levels. A, you avoid Vince McMahon's Survivor Series, but B, it can be a nice stocking stuffer. You know, now moms mm-hmm. and dads can give kids and, and other family members wrestling tickets, right? Yeah, or pay-per-view uh, vouchers or whatever you'd get. You know what I mean? Uh, you can, you, yeah, you can, you can gift the event in various forms. Smart marketing in that regard, without a doubt. Uh, the only thing that I found it to be a little bit cumbersome was the fact that we all had to, well, we all, that is not true. Most of us traveled on Christmas to get to the event. So that was another day where you have Christmas in a hotel room. Right. And that can be a pain in the ass, but thank God there's crown Royal. And I found it in Norfolk. And the other thing, I can't remember this, 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 uh, hotel that we stayed at, it stayed at for years. And Flair and all those guys made it famous. And I can't remember the little bar's name in it, but boy, the, the, the ladies of wrestling wink, wink knew exactly where it was. And, and they, they're, they're, uh, they're like seven 11, man. They're just open all the time. <laughs> uh, the NWA actually does a house show in Charlotte on Christmas night where Ric Flair would wrestle Eddie Gilbert for the first time. Of course, world-class used to hold big events on Christmas day. And I mean, Christmas day is, is very much a wrestling tradition. Uh, and, and we're going to do it the day after here for true grip, but man, the business has changed, not just, you know, from then to now, but inside the NWA as well. Let's take a look at what Dave Meltzer was writing on Wednesday morning. Dusty Rhodes officially resigned as booker of the NWA. From all accounts, this was a forced resignation ordered by the TBS hierarchy based on several episodes over the past few weeks. On Thursday, Jim Crockett was officially informed that he would no longer be running the day-to-day operations of the company starting January 1st. Officially, the Universal Wrestling Corporation will be handled day-to-day by James Hurd and currently an executive with Pizza Hut. Hurd's official title will be executive vice president of the company with Jack Petrick acting as president and overseer of the operations. Hurd has had some wrestling background in that he was the director for Vince McMahon Sr.'s television tapings out of Washington, D.C. in the mid-60s, then the director for Sam Mushnick's television show in St. Louis from 69 through the early 70s. Hurd later became the general manager of Channel 11 in St. Louis, which was the station Mushnick's program aired on, 
And he followed that by a stint working the front office for the St. Louis blues of the national hockey league. And then went on to pizza hut with pizza hut being in the process of being purchased by PepsiCo heard was the number two man in the marketing department of pizza hut and decided to accept Petrick's offer to run the wrestling company. As of press time, the new booker of the NWA is Jim Crockett. This is expected to change in January. Nothing is for certain, but it appears that the booking will be done by committee, which had been speculated elsewhere. The makeup of the committee has yet to be determined, but it looks to me as if the present plans continue, the actual key brain and power in the committee will be the nature boy, Ric Flair, which is both good and bad. And I'll get to that later, but there are numerous variables left in the equation. So lots of upheaval covered in the December 12th, 1988 edition of the observer, the biggest of which being the result of this pretty controversial angle that airs on TBS where the road warriors were doing an interview, dusty roads would come out. He would challenge the warriors animal pulls a spike out of his shoulder pad, sticks it in dusty's forehead. And then his quote unquote, eye, bloods everywhere. And this is a no, no from TBS. And apparently sort of the straw that broke the camel's back for dusty being the booker. What can you tell us? Well, he made a mistake there. Obviously if, it, if they if the home office mandates. And they're, and they're signing the checks. They're, they mandate. They don't want X. You, you don't give them X. Whether you believe it, X is what you need or meritus of it or you, whatever. It's it just, you can't do it. Uh, so I, that was a mistake. Um, but it, it's a lot, there are a lot of, a lot of cooks were beginning to migrate into the kitchen about that time. And a lot of the, most of the executives and Turner that I can recall in that era, all those years ago, uh, didn't really have a burning desire to embrace the wrestling genre or the brand. They weren't overwhelmed that the, we had that the, the redheaded stepchild was, was going to be brought into the, to the big house to eat with the grownups. And so there was a few guys in those, the white, white shirt, red tie, blue jacket dudes that had that probably, probably be honest with you, were subscribers to the observer and they felt many of them did that cause they quoted Meltzer all the time. They felt that if they read the observer every week and had done so for quite some time, even perhaps even going to the fact of going back and archiving the issues and catching up that they had the enough education in the business to support their premises. And so they made decisions oftentimes. Uh, in a vacuum without talking to the wrestling people, it should have been a synergy of conversation and communication, but it wasn't poor communication. And a lot of that was, you know, a lot of people didn't want to work with her either. I mean, he was a, a gruff kind of a, you know, a tough dude to, 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 uh, to deal with sometimes. So I, I just thought that it was a, it was a really a political time. Uh, the brands were underachieving, uh, the, the guys that had the little knowledge that had the white shirts. They had a vision of what they wanted the shows to be like based on what they read in the observer. In my opinion, uh, they watched all the rest and they could consume, which I applaud. Uh, but at the end of the day, they needed more practical experience and being and hung around the product. You never saw those guys at the, over the, on the 12th floor. They were hardly ever at our, at our place. I don't know if they didn't want anybody to see them coming into our offices. I don't know, but it was not a healthy environment there in that era, not healthy whatsoever. Cause there was too many cooks in the kitchen. And there was a lot of buyer's remorse, so to speak. Let's talk about dusty roads for a minute here, because I feel like dusty, you know, I guess we should mention we're just about a month 
out from where uh, Turner has bought Jim Crockett's promotion. So there's going to uh-huh. be definitely sort of a, a, ch- a change in management. And Dusty Rhodes, uh, for whatever reason, was taking a lot of heat uh, based on, you know, hey, we had to sell. And a lot of people were pointing to, to Dusty saying, well, Dusty overspent. And Dusty would say, it wasn't my job to mine the books. It was my job to pack the arenas. And they would say, well, houses were down. So it became the blame game for whatever reason. But Wade Keller sort of shed some other light on this and says that realistically, the Road Warrior Spike incident, while it may have been what we heard was the, the straw that broke the camel's back, there was a lot of other stuff beneath the surface. Specifically, he writes, ironically, when TBS took over the company, Rhodes was in a stronger position to retain his job than most casual observers would believe. Much of Petrick's knowledge and understanding of the wrestling business was coming directly from Crockett, who of course was very high on Dusty as a booker. However, there were a few outside forces pushing for Rhodes ousting, but up to until a few weeks ago, Rhodes was apparently going to retain his position in the early days with the new regime. The problem is a behind the scenes power play involving flair, which actually had been going on since late October and it all came to a head. Flair was able to make a deal with TBS, which increased his personal power to determine his own finishes mm-hmm. and angles. And Rhodes was incensed because he felt Flair went behind his back to Patrick to get that power. And more so it decreased Rhodes power and control over what the promotions world championship would be doing. Then a few weeks back, Rhodes tried his own manipulation to weaken Flair's position and booked him for only five dates in December An ensuing blow up occurred over Flair's role in Starcade which resulted in the Starcade main event being changed from Flair versus Rick Steiner to Flair versus Lex Luger, a decision by Petrick made over Dusty's head. Rhodes would then miss a weekend's worth of major shows claiming the flu, which is where his position weakened. The word was actually put out that Rhodes was as good as gone as a booker, but that word was premature. What appears to have been the straw that broke the camel's back was the angle that aired on November 26th with the Road Warriors putting the spike in Dusty's eye on TBS with heavy blood and close-ups, The angle was originally slated for the clash of the champion show in Chattanooga on December 7th, but Rhodes knew his position was weakening and hurried to get it on the air to get major sympathy back with him and get himself with the promotion's hottest babyface sting against the hottest heels, the road warriors for Starcade. Apparently TBS had sent a directive to the NWA because a few weeks of blood during the express angles. A few weeks earlier where Jim Cornette bled heavily after being hit with a telephone regarding blood on TBS and blade Rhodes defiantly, um, and blatantly disregarded the memo and ran his angle anyway. So behind the scenes, I didn't realize this until I did my research this week, flair and angle are flair and, and dusty having heat over what flair was doing and who was really in control of what flair was doing is sort of the root of this. Is that what you heard as well? Hey guys, are you looking for a great father's day gift idea? I know I was, and I found it a couple of years ago with paint your life with paint your life. You get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mom, your dad, or both. You see paint your life transforms your photos into a one of a kind, beautiful hand painted portrait done by professional artists. You can upload a photo to create anything you can imagine maybe in a special location or a favorite pet. There's lots of options. You pick the artist, the medium, and you even get to work with the artist to make sure it's perfect. 
You get started in less than five minutes and you can get the portrait in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded guaranteed. And right now as a limited time offer, get 20% off. That's right. 20% off and free shipping to get this special offer. Text the word Ross to 87204. That's Ross to 87204. Text Ross to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Well, it was an issue, no doubt about it. You know, uh, there was a lot, the trust was lost, I think you could say, uh, between the two. The two great big alpha males that, uh, you know, uh, you know, is the world big enough for both of us? And, and maybe the world of JCT at that time, Jim Crocker Promotions, was not. You know, that's, uh, you go back, it's very arguable. But they had, uh, I think they had what they started out as a friendly rivalry. And the reason I say that is because, you know, they did things like, you know, buy one guy buy a big, nice car, then I got to go buy a bigger one. I remember the same story about the fur coats. They had a fur coat competition, I think, uh, unofficial competition. One guy got a big, nice, some kind of fur coat. And the other guy got something more elaborate and more expensive and more, uh, ostentatious. Uh, but the thing that really sealed it for me there, this is going to be a friendly rivalry as it started. I thought it started out was, you know, dusty was a big fan of the, of the Celtics. Right. And Rick was a big fan of the Lakers. And at that time, the Lakers and the Celtics were the it t- teams in, in, in the NBA. They had the great uh, rivalry. They had bird, they had magic. They had all these wonderful elements of hall of fame players and all that came together. And I think that dusty and Rick both maybe subliminally looked at themselves like the, the Celtics and the Lakers, uh, big time rivalry. So then you come down to creative because I'm assuming that both guys are, were under a contract that they had agreed to that paid them a, a salary basically or at least a downside guarantee of some significance. So then you come back, what's the other C creative. And there's the, there's the, where the rubber meets the road, uh, two strong alpha males, both guys as good as there was in the field. Here's the thing about it. Here's the, here's the thing about the booking of that. Why the hell did you have to have every program center around the two of them? Flair should be to work with other people and making other people because even in losing to flair, you get, you, you up your game and your perception and uh, dusty, uh, could have had so many better matches or more matches. I don't know if they've been better, probably not, but they wouldn't have been bad with other opponents. And he, and he did that to some degree. He, he kind of branched out with this idea of, of getting the rub, the, the youthful, uh, rub from sting and then going against the, uh, the, the, uh, the new heels of road warriors. So I, I just think it was, there's the cash and creative man. I mean, I can, I can, you can say we can all analyze and Dr. Phil, the son bitch to death, but the bottom line is it's cash and creative. And on this particular occasion, I believe it's more of the creative side of it. And that could have all been solved 
it, but if you if it, those guys had not worked together on an ongoing regular basis, it seemed like they were working every major show. They weren't. It seemed that way. But uh, if you went to both guys at that time and said, "Look, as the owner, I, I don't want you guys. We're going to split you guys up for a while." That you you get pushed back. Oh no, we can't do that. So no matter how bad that the creator was between them, if you try to take any of the creative away from where they're not on top of the card, both guys, there would have been a pushback. So it was a damn if you do, damn if you don't thing. But, uh, I, I, I never saw a blow up between these guys that they talk about, they'd talk amongst their friends a little bit, you know, but I never heard of a big blow up or a face-to-face shouting match that if it heard, if it occurred, I haven't heard about it and I didn't see it. So, uh, but it was, it was unfortunate. And it could have been solved so easily folks that great line communication, communicate openly and honestly, and especially in this crazy ass wrestling business. And you're, you're be amazed at what you can accomplish. How much of this do you think is just spillover from, you know, when, when Rick was first getting going in the wrestling business, he looked up to dusty. I mean, he even wanted to call himself rambling Ricky Rhodes, and he dyed his hair and put a perm in it. I mean, he was carrying dusty's bags and. Of course, later, you know, Flair would go on to get a lot of attention as being, you know, one of the biggest attractions in wrestling, just like Dusty had. But then somewhere along the way, people started to consider, you know, Flair, one of the greatest, if not the greatest wrestler of all time. How much of that do you think just sort of, I don't know, was a burr under the saddle of Dusty Rhodes? Not that that's popular to talk about, but Hey, wait a minute. Now this guy used to want to carry my fucking bags. And now he thinks he's better than me. What the hell? Yeah, well, it's it's a part of the it's part of our aging process and our and our you know our maturity process, I guess. All performers, including some announcers, you know, are are always leery of the uh, look are always look over their shoulder to some degree, uh, and many will not admit that. I will because I don't give a shit, and I'm honest. I'm an honest man. Uh, you're only as good as your last show. You know, announcers could be. Uh, replaced very easily, even though for decades they weren't, you get used to that voice. Like you get used to Vin Scully with the Dodgers or whatever. And, uh, that cha- all that stuff has changed, but I can understand, uh, Dusty's apprehensions and the fact that he looked at it from, not from Rick's point of view, but from those that are supporting Rick's point of view, that it was being disloyal. There was Dusty, who was a top, most charismatic star in wrestling. And that it was, it was, uh, dusty who influenced Rick to become this bigger than life character back when flair was influenced by the dream. And that was during those days when Murdoch and Rhodes that were the Texas outlaw tag team it's also, and they were, uh, beyond compare folks have not seen dusty and Dick Murdoch as when they were true heels in the AWA and other places, but primarily the AWA missing a great treat. And I bet you a lot of the wrestlers who listen to the show and I appreciate them doing it. The, the, the young heel team say, how can I get better? You got to watch people that are better than you. And, and, and you don't want to say this, but you think it. And by the way, there are a lot of, them. uh, and go back and look at the midnights and the Tully and Arn team and, and all these other, but go back and look at Murdoch and, and Rhodes, go back and look at Joe Hamilton, and Tom Ernesto, the assassins. There are a lot of great teams I'm leaving out. Uh, but I don't mean to, I just, I'm talking here. So, uh, that was kind of the, I'm sure I, I can understand it. But after a while, you think you got to get over it because it is what it is. You, you have to guy get started and he became really, really good. I would suggest that would be a cause for more of being proud than being envious. 
Let's talk a little bit about the Rick Steiner situation because I'm fascinated by this. Allegedly, according to the rumor and innuendo, because of uh, Dusty maybe you know having some sort of real life personal situation with Rick, he wants not only to have Rick wrestle Rick Steiner, but he wants Rick Steiner to go over. And if the rumors are true, and you may debunk that and tell us it was a myth, he wanted Steiner to beat him in like five minutes, which is not typical of a Ric Flair main event in this era. Did you ever hear that story? And, and, and what do you think of that? I know that, uh, after it seemed like Conrad and I might get my, my chronological might be a little, a, a little flawed, but I think we saw a side of Rick Steiner when he was courting Robin green on, on, uh, on TBS who was Nancy Benoit woman, et cetera. And we saw a side of his personality that heretofore we had not seen. He had just been the scowling, uh, dog faced gremlin, uh, of his, uh, older brother of the, of the star of the family type deal and Scotty. And so he opened a lot of eyes there and I think in a good way. And I, and I, for one could see going down the road in a good story told and building it up to where you know, the blue collar guy, the old amateur wrestler wearing the short black boots and he still loves the singlet and all that other shit, uh, somewhere down the road, again, in a well-told story as a part of a plan could beat Rick for the W, uh, for the title and uh, WCW title, the world title, whatever you want, NWA title, whatever the hell. But I, I, I never heard about the, that short of time. And, but that's an old booking thing to shock people. Because there was a theory or school of thought that might be a little long, four or five minutes, but there's a school of thought that when somebody loses a quick one, that sometimes it's, it's easy for the loser to make the, the heel, especially to make excuses that he wasn't ready. He wasn't loose by all these things that have, uh, you know, no bearing in truth, but they're certainly nice excuses for a villain to use. But I never heard of the four to six minute deal or whatever it was going to be, but I, I did like the fact that that you're set your, here's the thing. I like the fact you're separating Steiner, Rick Steiner and making him a, uh, uh, NWA, uh, challenger. And I thought he and Rick would have great matches. I really did. Uh, and then what you get there is that you make two stars, you make Rick Steiner, the single and Scott Steiner, the single. So now on your card, you get two guys, two matches. They're going to be high quality with two guys that are over instead of having one match where these guys are combined their forces. So there was a guest Rick Steiner's push. I liked it, but I never heard the story about the quick squash type thing with Nate. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, Jim Cornette. He was mentioned here when it was discussed that maybe that was something that first got on Turner's radar with regard to blood. And Cornette has said that dusty came to him and said, listen, the fans have seen the other guys bleed, but they haven't seen you bleed. So he wanted him to get quote, a little color, but Corny had admitted he'd never done it before. And he said it was cold inside of the studio. So when he cut himself, he didn't start bleeding. So he does it several more times. And then (laughs) he bled a gusher all over his white suit. You were there for this. What'd you think? Too much blood, man. It was distracting. It was It was Hey, look at the moment. It was, it was dramatic as hell, but you know, there's nothing to do. We should have, it should have been rethought. Somebody should have hit corny should have, should have helped him a little bit there or something. So he wouldn't have cut himself repeatedly when he didn't need to. That's what I'm saying. Was it dramatic? Did it serve his purpose? Oh, hell yeah. 
Absolutely. Uh, but then I thought that that angle was kind of dropped to more. It was deep. It was deprioritized after such a startling thing that happened on, uh, in the studio, that match should have been on top in a lot of clubs and given some of the other guys some, some time off like Nate and some of these other cats are working every day, but that didn't happen. So I thought it might've been a little too much in hindsight in the moment being sitting there in the studio. I thought it was a uh, pretty damn, uh, pretty damn dynamic. Let's talk about, uh, Jim Hurd for a minute. Jim Hurd has, for whatever reason, always gotten a bad rap with wrestling fans. And I'm sure it's because the boys themselves would bury Jim before we get to, you know, discussing the actual meat of the matter. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, what the expectation was coming in when you guys hear that, okay, Dusty's going to be moved out as is Crockett. So there's going to be a hierarchy change. And this guy, even though we we've saw, we've sort of all heard the, the pizza hut Gaga for years, he was at least involved in wrestling from a television angle for years in well-respected territories. Did that give everyone hope or was it just pizza hut jokes from day one? No, no. It, it gave people hope, you know, uh, anytime you can connect, uh, the, the name, your name or the person involved in your conversation's name to Sam Muchnick, uh, in a positive way, that's a good thing in our business. Anytime you can connect and get the rub from, from, uh, Vince senior, that's a good thing in our business. So he had, he, he had some interesting, uh, uh, interactions with some very successful and smart individuals on his, on his journey. So we thought, you know, most of us thought that didn't need research. A lot of guys didn't care. But we thought that, uh, that was, a, that was a sign it was in the right, going in the right direction because there was just so much, uh, uh, chaos, turmoil, uh, the dark cloud never seemed to want to go away. Uh, and the company was, you know, found itself in a tough spot. Surprisingly, they say a tough, they found themselves surprisingly in the spot of, uh, you know, bad business, need of money, all that good stuff. So, uh, we all knew that, you know, what's going on here and how long, how long we're going to be in business and if Crockett's not going to be in business, which was the rumor, cause he found out that he, you know, the money wasn't there. Uh, I guess it's, what is that? That accountant's name was Dave Johnson. I think it was that he, he kind of got half-assed famous cause he was kind of blamed seemingly for the, uh, for the lack of communication that they, they're, they're, they're hurting right now on cash flow and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think, you know, I think we're happy. I think we were looking for, it was a new Conrad. It was fresh. Let's give it a, that's what I told guys. We should just give it a chance because here's our alternative. What the fuck are we going to do about it? Right. Were you going to, you going to quit and go to work for Vince? If he'll take you, you know, that's what you want to do. That's what you should do anyway. But we got to give this guy this new regime, and it was not just her coming in. I mean, they're putting the, the, the department together. There's secretaries and accountants and all kinds of people. It wasn't a one man office; it was a whole staffed office. And so that was all that was changing. You know, uh, I met my secretary for the first time. You know, I didn't hire them; they're already hired. So that's kind of how that worked. And so the, the my idea was, hey, I, I'm I'm living, I'm single. I'm living in Atlanta. Uh, I loved it for many reasons. One I just subliminally referred to, 
and uh, and I'm in the wrestling business. So what the hell? Let's give it a shot. And we did. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out. Jim, let's run through some of the things that Wade Keller is writing are going to change under Jim Hurd, and then we'll move on. But there's some interesting stuff on here that, that I don't think is all that bad. Uh, here, here are some of the changes. Number one, wrestlers will get weekly paychecks based on their contract. For example, a wrestler with a hundred thousand dollar downside guarantee will get $2,000 a week rather than getting paid by the gate and having so-called balloon payments. At the end of the year, some of which never materialize. Number two, wrestlers will have their hotels taken care of on the road. Number three, TBS, not JJ Dillon, will handle travel arrangements and wrestlers will fly from their hometown, not everyone from Atlanta every time. Number four, all TV tapings, both for TBS and the syndicated package, will emanate from a mid sized arena in the Atlanta area. Number five, the announcers on the syndicator package will remain pretty much the same. TBS will have Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone doing the PM show without David Crockett. However, Crockett will do a solo act on the AM show without Ross or Schiavone. An early speculation is either giving Crockett a bone since the Crockett's are still in a position of some power, or perhaps they want to do away with the AM show and are putting David on solo to set up the ratings drop so it can be canceled. And then David can be done away with on television. Wow. Uh, that's, that's nice to read. <laughs> God dang. Uh, number six, uh, Crockett Rhodes and JJ will have to move to smaller offices in Dallas. And number seven, there will be attempts to improve syndication, particularly in major markets like New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. And lastly, number eight, the television shows will be post-produced. So the quality of the production should improve. So if we're getting better quality production, we're moving to more reasonable offices. We're going to improve syndication. Wrestlers are going to get paid on a more regular basis and they're getting their hotels taken out of, and they don't have to start their trips from Atlanta. They can start them from home. Uh, wait a minute. Why did everybody hate Jim Hurd again? (laughs) Well, because on the fundamental structured things, like we're just like, you just read over and I'm sure I'll assure you that. That's that Keller got that information right from her. I'm guessing I'd, I'd bet big money that he did because it's funny when you go back and look at it over my career, every, every booker, uh, without, with, without exception, except maybe only, uh, but every, at least every owner or every head honcho of a wrestling company has all talked to the, uh, to Meltzer or, and later on with Keller. So these guys got good information and I, I, everything you read off there that I was certainly refreshed by, uh, made sense to me. Was there anything on that list that you, you would have said, I don't know about that one. No, I mean, you know, I think everything here is an improvement and you know, some of the frustration has to come from guys like Nikita Koloff. He supposedly quit the promotion on a Sunday as we marched towards the Starcade, and Meltzer would say, quote, mainly due to problems regarding the travel that we detailed a few weeks back about having to drive from his home to Atlanta to catch flights for the road shows. Nikita, who was a long, for a long time, may have been the single most overpromoted wrestler on the circuit, save for dusty himself had fallen into the doghouse with Rhodes and Jim Crockett in recent months and felt he was about to get buried. And he was probably correct. Nikita is expected to work for a new independent promotion that Nelson Royal is starting up in the Carolinas. Uh, Obviously we know how that worked out, but, uh, 
Nikita quitting. Did you see that coming? No, uh, I didn't see it right away because I wasn't privy to, uh, the conversations that, uh, Nikita and dusty and uh, Jimmy Crockett were having. I didn't know there were that many, that many issues. Uh, you know, he got over really big, uh, Nikita did thanks to dusty, his look and thanks to dusty and what he, and, and of course, uh, the, the Magnum TA tragedy helped get Nikita over as much as anything because he became Dusty's friend, the allied powers and had empathy for, uh, a fallen warrior that he had went to combat with. So it had that sad, tragic thing helped get uh, Nikita over. And, you know, sometimes guys, uh, in, in their, in their youth in this world, like they, like this world of make believe and play fighting. They actually believe that they're as good as they're being built. And certainly Nikita was over, but he was over because of look and position and, and how he, and his no selling and things of that nature stuff that probably not the greatest thing in the world, but he got over and that's what you always look for. You want somebody to get over. So he's, he was, uh, I, I didn't see it coming because I thought that he and dusty were kind of, uh, joined it to hip. Because like I said, Dusty created a guy in a baby face role. He put him with one of the great Ivan Koloff and you can't help but learn. That's an education itself. Those car trips are like going to, it's they're just rolling classrooms. And, uh, so he owed a, he, Nikita owed a lot to Dusty. And I, I saw Nikita pop up the other day on the uh, NWA show. So it's good to see that he's back doing some stuff. I know he does a lot of church work, which I'm very proud of him for doing. It's very honorable. He's very sincere with it. So his life has moved on from a, being a faux Russian strongman to being Scott again right. and doing a lot of good things. So, uh, but it was a, it was a rocky road at that point in time. And, and yes, somewhat surprising that two old friends like that were on the outs. It's just, uh, it's an interesting time because, you know, dusty is this great beloved figure in wrestling and, um, Jim Hurd is not. But when the, the changeover happens, it feels like a lot of people have started to maybe lose confidence in dusty. And they're really excited about Jim Hurd and some of the examples he's going to run out. And then we know over the course of time, boy, that flip flops in a major way. Well, here's the thing about it. As hard as Hurd worked in that, in those structural things, those procedural things that were changing with the TVS brass, you know, I can tell you that I know a lot of wives, uh, were ecstatic that their husbands were getting a, a weekly check because it added some, uh, you know, some fundamentals, some continuity, you know, organization, whatever structure for God's sakes to their lives. And the fact that it, I had no idea, I, or if I did, I forgot about it because I lived in Atlanta. So, you know, I didn't have the flight issues. Uh, I mean, I moved to Atlanta from Dallas, uh, but man, I'm telling you, uh, flying from, you got to drive from Charlotte to Atlanta to start your trip. That's the stupidest goddamn thing I've ever heard of. No wonder Nikita was pissed off. That defies logic. So, and if you did, I think what they did, they finally ran the, uh, prices Conrad. And sometimes, uh, flying from their home was cheaper than flying from Atlanta. You know, it just makes sense. So anyway, it was. Yeah, but we remember the sensational things and heard trying to get involved in creative was his downfall. 
and he didn't have great people skills as they're later working with the talent. And that was not a good thing. But the main thing is he, like a lot of guys had enough knowledge of creative to be dangerous. Let's talk about, uh, your old pal, Rick Flair and Mark Madden, Mark Madden would interview him for the Pittsburgh press for an article. There's some interesting stuff in here, but the thing that sticks out the most is when Mark asks Rick, what do you think of Hulk Hogan as a wrestler? And Flair would say he's always had the public relations to the WWF behind him, but, er, I'd better not comment. Let's just say that while he has tremendous notoriety, I think wrestling fans who really follow the sport, see me in a different light. What were the strategies that you employed with Watts and then here with the NWA and WCW to combat the marketing juggernaut that had become a Hulk Hogan led WWF, because it does feel like pretty routinely there were veiled comments on the old TBS show, especially from the horseman and Ric Flair in particular, but talk about how the greatest wrestlers in the world were here and -hmm. you were trying to bring attention to, Hey, we're not sideshow shit. The real wrestling is here. What was, was there any sort of strategy meetings that you remember with Bill Watts or anyone from the office about how you could differentiate yourself from the more while wildly popular cartoon presentation of the WWF and Hulk Hogan? No, to the contrary, the Watts, uh, the only thing that we did remotely paid attention to, uh, WWF at the time was they, they came in to run, uh, Oklahoma city did WWF and, uh, cowboy was very competitive and very strong, bullheaded, stubborn, and, and, and very profoundly protective of what he had built and all good things. Uh, so while they did a live event loaded card at the state fair arena, uh, we went downtown to our building, the myriad known at the time and had a meet and greet and, uh, our meet and greet had all of our top stars. We brought in Kerry Von Eric and some guys from Dallas, but Kerry was the headliner. And I believe that we outdrew them, uh, with a meet and greet and they never came back. Uh, and cowboy looked at as a, as a feather in his cap, but they came back later, of course, you know, but nonetheless at that time during the quote unquote wars, well, that term has been used a lot in the wrestling business these days. Yeah. Yeah. Golly. So anyhow, um, uh, but we did cowboys deal was, is this all you've got to do? Meaning to think and report and to follow the day to day of WWF. Is this all you have to do? What are you doing for me? What are you doing for our company? What are you doing for the company that pays your salary? And then you can justify your wise ass attitude. Well, uh, you know, they're opponent, they're an enemy. It's a war. It ain't no war kid. The war is getting people to come to our events. They're having trouble paying for their rent or their groceries or sending their kids to school or buying shoes. That's the goddamn war. The war ain't who's the biggest heel or who had the biggest, who's getting the best push for God's sakes. We love the fucking push. Tony Conrad, you love the push. I love the push. Let's just fucking push together. So everybody loves the push. Well, I know you're fired up about it, but the word on the street is Jim Ross loves pushy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, sometimes I've been known to try to act like I'm 40 when I'm 67, but so, so sue my ass. How's that? Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Cowboy just did. That was him, man. So. 
but it was a different landscape in, in Atlanta because in Atlanta, because of the influence of the white shirted guys and red ties and blue coats, they are always aware because they read the Meltzer's observer and they watch all the wrestling. You know, you could, if you lived in Atlanta at that time, you know, uh, Joe Pettacino and his, his wife, Bonnie, Bonnie Blackstone, uh, had that show on channel 69. What was uh, back to back to back, like six hours of wrestling from territories and stuff. Right. They did the, they did the wraparounds. Well, hell man, you can sit at home and I did it many Saturday nights and watch all night, watch every Dallas and Memphis and all Florida, whatever Kansas, whatever's out there. I watched because I was looking for talent, right? I don't know what the other committee guys were doing, but I was looking for talent and, uh, or to see something I like, or hear something I'd like to try or something I could make the art company better. So, uh, you know, but Joe and Bonnie did a phenomenal job there. Joe, Joe had a stroke. I'm sure a lot of folks realize that Joe had a stroke not too long ago and, uh, he's recovering nicely in, in, uh, Atlanta, South of Atlanta. And Bonnie is holding down the fort, doing a great job as always. And, uh, I, uh, Joe and Bonnie, I don't just Bonnie. Yes. Cause I follow we're friends on Facebook. So you might think about that. Give them a, how do you, how you doing? Happy holidays. Joe's fighting the battle and he's doing better. So that's all good. But anyway, you can watch a lot of wrestling in Atlanta and God, God knows we did. So those TVS guys, Conrad, they were wrestling marks like me did the same thing right. and they created their own ideas and their own level of intellect. Well, here's what I would book or here's what I would do. Okay. Let's, and you heard that a lot. Let's talk a little bit about uh, clash of the champions. It goes down on December 7th. It's a clash of the champions for seasons beatings. It's a 4.5 rating, a 6.8 share. That's going to average 2.17 million homes. And think about, think about that in today's market. Think about those numbers in today's market, a 4.5 rating. You know what I'm saying? It's just like how much the world has changed right. and how much, how much the, the television market has become so fragmented. And when people talk about the ratings now, and the, and you, you see a, a stat that says, uh, for example, on the big war on Wednesday nights, we all know there's a big war going on in the world. It only happens on Wednesday night on television with fictional programming, but God damn it. It's a war folks. And without a war, you can have a push without a push. There's no fucking life. So, uh, but that's a hell of a number, quite frankly, but I, I, I that, and that was a TBS. I think that was a TBS uh, name. They did do some nice job, nice job on some creative stuff. They could do that. It's just when they got into the fact of booking matches and, and basically calling spots, it didn't work for me and didn't work for a lot of guys. The, uh, the show Meltzer would say, I should point out, this was the first time a TBS crew covered the show rather than a crew hired by Jim Crockett promotions. There was a lot of finger pointing after the show because the production itself was subpar, particularly a, a director, Tommy Edwards. Although some claim Edwards was made a scapegoat for problems due to a lack of preparation. The lighting was awful, looking even worse than most of the syndicated shows. And I didn't realize until after the show was over that they had any kind of crowd in the building. Cause I figured the darkness was to find, hide the fact that they had a small crowd. When I found out the place was almost full, the lack of lighting made no sense and made it look cheap, particularly in comparison to the competition. There were many technical glitches. Lex Luger hosted the show along with Tony Schiavone. And frankly, while I thought it was a good idea at the last clash with flair in this role, it didn't work. Luger, who has much less personality than flair didn't work in the role either. He seemed very er uh, nervous early on, but got better. 
but was still stiff and uncomfortable throughout. I think uh, uh, that Meltzer sort of breaks down the entire card from here. But the thing I wanted to circle back to was, since you were involved in this a little bit, how the production being switched over from being handled by Jim Crockett promotions to TBS was a bad thing because on the outside looking in, you're like, wait a minute. Well, those were wrestling people and these are TV people and it's a TV show. So from a production standpoint, this seems on paper, like an upgrade, but an execution, not so much, not so much that night, but in the, on the big picture and going forward, I believe it was the right thing to do because, uh, we knew that, uh, TBS. Uh, cameramen and, and directors and producers and audio guys and graphic people, all, et cetera, et cetera, all that shit. They'd done baseball forever. They, they had, remember back in the day, TVS had the SEC football package. That's right. And so they did a live SEC football game, uh, uh, all season. And, uh, so we knew that they had the, the sports ability. They had the equipment. Did they, could we find the individuals that had the aptitude, especially the shooters? The camera guys, the aptitude to want to be there and, uh, and invest in the, in the product. And we, we eventually found that not too long after that, because going forward, some of those other in, in that regime, you know, when Keith Mitchell took over, uh, things got better. Keith Mitchell's now the head of production for AEW, but, uh, and, and for free, he did it for Fritz. He did it for WCW, did it for Dixie. So Keith's uh, the best. And, uh, but Tommy Edwards got a short hand on that deal. He got that damn thing dumped in his lap. Now, was he, could you, you could ask this question. Was he ready for that role? I don't know that. I don't know that he wasn't by any stretch of the imagination. He produced Tony and my studio show and the stuff we did in voiceovers. Uh, and, uh, that was, you know, sometimes like pulling teeth. Ironically, I, when I was doing voiceovers for access TV and the new Japan brand, uh, Tommy is a director of the late edition sports center and, uh, for ESPN with Neil Everett and, uh, whoever else the guy is, uh, Jay Harris, I think. So Tommy's not done bad. No. And I seen we shoot the shit and talk to him and got reacquainted and got our numbers exchanged and everything. So Tommy's a talented guy. He might've been in a little deep water for that first go around because they had no time to prepare and, and to shoot something before they got there. You'd think, well, let's go up to Gainesville and shoot something. Let's go set up and get the, let's do something that will prepare us to do a great job of doing live TV because there are no retakes. There is no net and that didn't happen. So he was, it was all on him and, and some of it was not as pretty as I'm sure he would like it to have been. This show, I want to mention again, um, this clash of the champions is Jim Crockett's first show as the quote unquote booker. Uh, of course, at this point, dusty Rhodes has been demoted. And, uh, the main event is Ric Flair and Barry Windham taking on Jim Cornette's midnight express, a road where animal would win the NWA six man titles for himself, uh, and his partner Hawk and Paul Ellering by beating dusty Rhodes in a singles match. Ivan Koloff had one arm tied behind his back against Paul Jones. Steve Williams would pin the Italian stallion. Um, the fantastics would win the U S titles over Ron Simmons and Eddie Gilbert. We recently covered this show with Tony Schiavone, but. I didn't realize at the time when we were covering it, that this is actually Crockett's first show as a booker. What did you think of, of Crockett as a booker? We know it's going to be short lived, but do you remember this show in particular or any of the creative thinking? Oh, I don't know if I'd do this. Uh, 
Not really, because you, you got to give a guy a chance, right? In uh, to see how his, it's going to work, and 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 if the talents are doing their job, when they see how they're booked, their mind would start thinking at that point: How can I go into the scenario and win? How can I go into the scenario and lose? And how can I go into the scenario and work a return? So uh, there's things that you can you can put together in your head even not knowing what you're going to be asked to do that night or told to do instructed to do whatever you're, you're comfortable saying. So, uh, but he, Jimmy was trying hard. I remember he's, he was really going, uh, 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 over, not overboard, very thorough on his, uh, uh, enthusiasm and his instruction. Uh, so, you know, and for a lot of us, he, he, uh, he, he hired us. So, you know, you, you're just going to be loyal to a guy. At least I am. But I, I thought that, look, you never know how these shows are going to work out. Uh, sometimes you see a show I've been on them lately where you think it's going to be a home run. Unfortunately, things happen beyond one's control that prevented that. So I saw this card. Uh, there are things I probably would not have booked. Uh, I don't need to see, uh, Ivan Koloff fight Paul Jones with one arm time behind his back. Uh, speaking of Ivan, I don't need to see that. Uh, you know, things like that. I, you know, subjective. You like chocolate, you like vanilla, but uh, no, no issues with Jimmy. We had the, we had the same, everybody else was the same. Everybody else was in place. It's just that Jimmy had taken a layer off between dusty and, and that everybody else stays the same and replace it with himself. So it wasn't that big a change in that respect as far as communicating and all that, but subjective. Uh, creative is so subjective, Conrad, as we've talked about many times, you can look at it on paper and say, God damn, man, this is going to be awesome. I love this. And then it's like a fart in church. Just don't work. Right after class of the champions, Meltzer would report the future of dusty Rhodes, The wrestler is still uncertain. The word is that Rhodes will work through Starcade, but nothing is certain about that. Nobody in the NWA seems to think that Rhodes will be around for the long haul. Rhodes has been negotiating with Vince McMahon, but no deal has been reached. And some in Titan swear that no deal will ever be reached. Other stories going around include Rhodes and Bill Watts opening up their own promotion, or perhaps Rhodes going to Florida with some of the NWA guys and opening up his own group. But at this point, that's all in the talking stages. Did you ever imagine in this era, even though you'd seen everybody else pretty much, uh, at least tinker with the idea of going to work for Vince. Did you ever think that dusty would, I mean, we know he ultimately did, but that just doesn't feel in this era, like even a remote possibility to me. I, uh, had, was not surprised when I owed because, you know, dusty had, uh, worked so diligently and, and, and every effort that he was involved in, unfortunately didn't make a lot of money. And I don't know. You know, he and I discussed it, you know, that we both wish that we had been smarter investors and financial guys early in our career. And thank God I got smart enough to do that when I started making some pretty good money, but Dusty had made really good money without that preparation or that, is there uh, is there going to be another payday tomorrow type thing? Cause all those guys got over, got on top, just, they just felt so invincible that those paydays are just not going to stop, man. I'm going to keep singing my hits. And keep selling those records and selling out those concerts, man. That's this all. It's, it's my sound. So uh, I, I thought 
that he would go to work for Vince, if that's what it came down to, to pay his bills and put some money in the bank and pay his taxes and all those things. So it didn't surprise me whatsoever. And it, and it will never surprise me when somebody goes to work for another company, because again, Conrad, what's it all about? Cash and, Cash creative. and creative. There you go. Let's talk about who's coming in. Meltzer would say that, uh, Steve Casey is going to come in on January 16th. Michael Hayes will be here on January 23rd. Uh, Butch Reed is expected to start on February 1st. Brian Pillman's going to be coming in and there's a good chance that Jimmy Garvin is going to return. And they're talking to Terry Gordy, but Meltzer would say that's doubtful because Gordy uh, is making great money in Japan. Doesn't want to do anything to risk that Japanese deal. And as a result has already turned down Vince McMahon several times. So he's doubtful that he'll come in. We know that most of these wind up happening, but Gordy, do you remember there ever being even a hint that, Hey, we're going to get him full time on a regular basis here in WCW. Well, I think that's one of the reasons we were so excited about getting Michael Hayes in. Right. Although Michael Hayes is a great manager. He's a, he, I thought he was one of my favorite broadcast partners back in the, in the UWF days for cowboy. Uh, this he's a natural. He's very gifted in that regard. Uh, and like I told Paul Heyman, uh, made it famous in the show. Michael Hayes is easy to dislike as a wrestling villain, right? He knows how to play that role. So maybe getting Hayes in, in, in place. And then we put Garvin, get Garvin in there. So now you got Hayes and Garvin could theoretically be together and Garvin playing the buddy Roberts role, but you need the big killer because no matter what, you know, we all know, and all due respect to everybody else, the other two dudes, Terry Gordy was the straw that stirred the free birds drink. Right. Without a doubt. And, and that that's not a knock on Michael or buddy whatsoever. He was that goddamn good to stick to Terry Gordy. So, uh, but here, the issue there, here's the real issue with that. I think, uh, bam, bam had not taken care of his leg, his body. He, he's not a big gym guy and he was having uh, chronic issues with his knees. And when you're 300 pounds and you're, and you're doing things that 300 pounders aren't necessarily supposed to do or don't normally do. And a lot of those uh, endings, those little journeys, those bumps end on your knees at cumulatively, it can really be taxing. And I think that was what was beginning to happen to him. I'm sure the arthritis is next. You know, he probably needed some surgeries, uh, you know, truth be known, but I think he was trying to maintain, extend his wrestling mortality by wrestling fewer dates, but still making good money. I think that's the biggest reason we didn't get Terry Gordy in, uh, WCW. And then, uh, we were able to do that later on with Dr. Death. I believe that's later on. Yeah. And, uh, but that was under different circumstances as well. Limited dates. So he wasn't going on the road to, to do much. Uh, they were going to work on TV or TV act. So, but we couldn't get him, uh, in, at that era, he was too hot in Japan, probably making 10, 15 grand a week. Uh, you know, that's pretty damn good money for a part-time gig. Let's talk about, uh, this schedule, you know, we've, we've talked about how crazy the schedule could be at different times. And, uh, before the biggest show of the year, Starcade, Meltzer wrote in typical NWA fashion, check the schedule out the day before their biggest show of the year. The guys work twice on Sunday, an afternoon shot in Greenville, South Carolina, and a Christmas night shot in Charlotte. Then flights from Charlotte on Monday morning were directed to Washington, DC, rather than Norfolk. Of course, that meant the day of the biggest show of the year after the guys had worked twice the day before they all had to drive 200 miles 
from DC to Norfolk. And they were supposed to arrive by 4 PM in Norfolk because they wanted to go over the show early. I believe there were a few wrestlers who weren't even issued tickets for the flight and actually had to drive from Charlotte. And while the scenario is not unusual in wrestling, even the WWF wrestlers who regularly go through it, at least Titan doesn't make them go through those hassles when it has its pay-per-view shows. Yeah, bad management, man. Look at it any way you want. It's, it's illogical. Uh, somebody's not paying attention. There's too many cooks in the kitchen. Where does the buck stop? Who's going to take responsibility? Hell, it sounds like America. That's where we are. So it was just the left didn't know what the right was doing. Nobody would take uh, responsibility, culpability. You know, I, I kid people about my title in AEW, Conrad. You know, I've had laughed about this over a mule or two. That is, I'm the senior advisor. What that means, folks, is I'm the oldest guy on the goddamn roster. That's senior. Get that. <laughs> and as the senior advisors, by the way, I created my own title. Tony says, you need a title. Okay. So how about this? Cause I didn't really want to be an EVP or a VP or a VVVP or nothing. I've done all that. I said, uh, how about senior advice is fine. And here's my reasoning for that as the senior advisor of AEW. Now get this quote, right? Folks, as the senior advisor of AEW, I can feel freely to, to embrace and all the success that is begotten us as my idea. When something is a stinker, I know nothing. That's the senior advisor. So, uh, we had nothing there, man. Our, our, our manager was, you look, anytime you, you sign and I, I look, I look, Don Red, you and I are both are wrestling fools, maybe too much. Sometimes I really sure. believe that in our lifetime, there've been points in our life where we probably were a little bit too crazy about this shit. And I'm still crazy about it. And I'm going to always be till my time's up. But man, I'm telling you, uh, this, uh, there was just, there was just nobody there to, to keep the rudder in the water and, and, and the, and the big issue wrestlers are the worst people. JJ Dillon's is the exception to the rule. JJ Dillon is the most well-organized structured wrestling person to do normal business task as anyone I've ever seen in the business. So it'd be like comparing JJ's organizational skills with Patterson's organizational skills. It's laughable. Now, if you ask, if you want to compare their finishes and their creative work, that might be laughable as well on the other side. So, uh, that was what McMahon did. He found people who could do a good job. He put them in the role that they could succeed in, but we had not been in WCW at that time long enough for anybody to know who was, who was, who had skills, skill level, who could do things other than just what their, their one little niche job was. And for me, I wanted them to know I could do a whole lot more than an announce because I thought it would help my job security. The more tools in a toolbox, the better job you're going to do. And the longer you're going to be able to do it for the most money, simple deal. So, uh, but it was embarrassing. God, when I read that stuff again. It's just how, how hideous, how stupid, but when you're not, and look, when you don't have a Jersey or you're not in a huddle, I don't feel guilty about it. I feel bad for the boys, but you know, if, if somebody had been able, if I had been, if I had been able to be a bigger role, have a bigger role in it. But there again, trust ego, you know, all this other shit. So, but it's sad. I read this. I'm, I'm appalled. To be honest with you. 
Let's keep it moving here and talk about the show. Starcade 88, we're finally here. Meltzer would say, for those of you who missed the show, there were very glaring production weaknesses. He's going to be very critical of that when they would switch camera shots, you would hear a noise that would annoy you. The sound would be screwed up several times during the show, including a backstage interview that Magnum TA was conducting with Rick Steiner. It also went out for three minutes during Steiner's match with Mike Rotunda. There were once or twice when Bob Cardle had a dead mic and he didn't even know that that was the case. So lots of production sort of snafus here. Uh, but he was very complimentary to you guys. He says, Jim Ross and Bob Cottle not only called the match as well and got across the storylines excellently. They also threw in quite a bit of subtle facts and intelligently approached analysis. Tony Schiavone's role as host worked a lot better this time than it had in previous shows where his wrestler co-hosts have either looked uncomfortable like Lex Luger or seemed like they could have been used in a better role on the show. Like Rick flair, they did locker room interviews for the first time at an NWA pay-per-view event. So. You know, it's not all bad. Maybe there's some production hiccups, but he's very complimentary of you, Tony and Bob. When you watch this show back for the first time in a long time, how do you think you, Bob and Tony did? I thought we had a nice show, you know, a nice show. I got, I said so many times here, uh, hearing Bob's voice and, and knowing that I got the opportunity and the privilege to sit next to him for all those years, uh, in a, in a unique time. Because Bob was there and heard all the unrest and the JCP offices in Charlotte. He knew that things weren't going peachy. Uh, he, he, under, he understood that there were some, some crises, uh, cash flow crises and so forth. And then all of a sudden, uh, JCP is no longer in business. And uh, he was retained there by Turner, which is great. He was always the number one guy. had been for years until Tony came in uh, in mid-Atlantic. He, Bob moved to NWA pro and Tony was on worldwide. Uh, then I came in as Bob's partner. They said, Bob, we want you to move over another chair. So go from doing play by play on the number two show to doing color on the number two show and let this new guy, you don't even know, I uh, do the play by play. So he did not have to like me. Uh, and, and, but I gave him every reason to like me because I really liked him. I loved his work his straightforward. You know, he did tell you what time he just told you what time it was, not how to make the watch, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought we had a nice show, but listen to Bob's work, knowing what he went through and the unrest and uncertainty at that time at his age, uh, was, uh, was unsettling, but he didn't let it bother him. And our show was smooth as hell. And Tony's great in that role. Tony's a hell of a play by play guy. We all know. And, uh, you know, I love working with him on AEW on Wednesday nights. But boy, in that role, the studio guy, the point guy that, you know, he's really, really good in that role. So, uh, I thought we had a nice show and, and it wasn't up to us to make it good creatively. All we can do is to narrate what we see and provide the lyric to what we hear in essence. And so that's what we have to work on. And but I thought we came through it. Okay. Let's talk about the matches. Steve Williams and Kevin Sullivan are going to beat the fantastics to capture the United States tag team championship. 15 and a half minutes. Uh, the match gets three and a half stars. The fantastics are one of the forgotten great tag teams that I feel like aren't discussed nearly enough. Uh, and this really showcased how talented these guys were and an interesting sort of makeshift tag team. Talk about a clash of styles. Steve Williams and Kevin Sullivan, your old pals. What'd you think of this one? Well, uh, I echo what you said about the fantastics being underrated or not talked about enough. The problem that, uh, that, uh, Tommy and Bobby had, well, the perception was 
they very closely followed the Rock and Roll Express into a lot of territories. And that's a hard act because there's, there's, there's some similarity there in presentation and tandem offense and, you know, the style and so forth. So I thought that always held them back a little bit. Uh, but they're, they're a hell of a team. No doubt about it. They're a really good team. And as for a baby face team, they, they did everything you needed to do. They, they, the women loved them and they loved them back. They, uh, were, they could sell parks alone just amazingly. So that got the fans to invest emotionally into the fantastics match and that side of the presentation, which is crucial, crucial. Uh, and I heard recently Conrad that, uh, you know, Tommy's no longer with us, unfortunately, a trouble guy. And, and now I heard that, uh, Bobby Fulton has, uh, taken ill and, uh, not sure exactly all the details that I should, I'd like to know for sure. I'll try to find out, but, uh, whatever it is, uh, we wish, uh, Bobby the best. And we hope that his fans and wrestling fans around the globe will reach out to him, let him, let him know that they're thinking about him. Cause I can't tell you how much that means to somebody on days when you're feeling kind of downtrodden. So, uh, but they're a good team, man. Uh, look, the star of that whole match was Dr. Death and you're going to know, I'm going to say that he was never allowed to be himself in the, uh, in the, in that company, there was egos and, uh, you know, all this other shit. He was a UWF champion. You know, it was, it was how, how good would it have been to let him go for a year beating UWF guys, let Flair go for a year, maintain a title, all building to the Dr. Death Flair match, a million dollar match to two champions against each other at one pay-per-view. It was, it was like found money. You, you tell a long story and you give a payoff and the payoff would have been Flair would have gone over. And then you, you, you could make an argument to go the other way. But bottom line of it is, is that he was underutilized, but he was a star of that equation. But I thought those guys did a nice job and, uh, uh, you know, it was, I thought the, all the race pretty close to good. I thought it was a really good match. I just, it was a damn good opener for sure. Damn good. No doubt about it. Uh, doc is a heel. You prefer him as a baby or a heel heel. Yeah. He, a uh, heel. I think he, uh, uh, because he is so nasty was God bless his soul. Uh, very physical, a bully type persona, not Steve Williams, but this Dr. Death persona. Uh, so he was a great villain, but you know, he's the kind of guy that you get going as hot as a heel and then somebody turns on him or some, uh, you know, back in the day, you'd bring in a, a, a quote unquote foreign heel that would cross Dr. Death as an, a, a, and question his, uh, patriotism or something. Then you could have the, uh, you'd have a, he'd be a big baby face. Uh, just like cowboy used to do to, from time to time. It was, it's, a, it's a layup, easy booking, but he's better as a villain, better as a villain. But uh, I just, I think about him a lot too, boy. He's certainly one of my favorites of all time. And I just wish he, his life had ended a little bit better. Obviously cancer's a bad, bad bitch, man. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's, uh, let's keep it going. Talk about an interesting feud here to say the least Jim Cornette on one side, Polly dangerously on the other. And they're both managing a different version of the Midnight Express. They get 17 minutes and 26 seconds. As you might imagine, Jim Cornette's version is victorious. Three and a quarter stars. It's cool to see this for a lot of reasons. You know, over the years, Jim Cornette and Paulie 
didn't exactly get along. They both will go start their own promotion, Smoky Mountain and ECW, two of the all-time great minds in wrestling, two of the great managers in wrestling. I like the concept, but I don't know that I really enjoyed new versus old. I feel like as you and I have talked about, anytime you put the word new in front of something, it's usually not going to work. And that certainly seems to be the case here, but the wrestling itself, pretty damn good. what did you think? Yeah, I like the match. I like the match. Bell to bell was very compelling. A lot of hall of fame level talent in that thing. And, uh, it's, it's just funny, uh, how over time the rivalry between Cornette and Heyman, uh, evolved because, and I told them this, I've told them both this in, in front of each other at the same time, you know, you guys are so goddamn much alike. I don't understand why you can't like each other. You, one, one just wears better clothes and you know, they'd all, uh, you know, cuss me out and have fun. And, but really they're, 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 they're so much alike, so much in common all the way back to photography days as a teenagers at ringside. God almighty, same trail they travel, just different parts of the country, different time zones, I guess, different area codes. So, uh, I love that match and look, look who you had in it, man. I mean, there's some, there's some cats in that thing that could go, you know, Dennis Condry's a bad dude, man. He could, re- he could wrestle with anybody. And, and there was nobody I've seen in years that can do more things better than Bobby Eaton. I'm so proud that they got to have a, a, a little celebration for Bobby here a while back and raise some money, which is great. A lot of, I salute the guys that were there. Uh, but Bobby Eaton is incredible. Absolutely incredible. The midnight express Stan, Bobby, Dennis, and Cornette should all be in, in any major hall of fame, including WWE without a doubt. And if they don't go in, you know, it's a political issue because they can't, the excuse can't be, well, they didn't have a long and distinguished enough career. So if the WWE is the caretaker of the business, as they purport, I'm not going to disagree with that. Then how could you not induct the midnight express into the WWE hall of fame? That's my question. So yeah, I like the match. I I like the angle. We talked earlier, a little too much blood, maybe in hindsight, but was it dramatic to get my attention? Yes. Was it underutilized after that, that point? In my opinion, it indeed was. Let's, uh, let's keep it moving here and, uh, talk about the Russian assassins. They're going to keep their masks and, uh, Paul Jones's job by defeating Ivan Koloff and who Meltzer would call the junk food dog and six minutes and 47 seconds. Meltzer would say this match wasn't good, nor did it have much chance to be good, but at least it was watchable and didn't hurt the card. That's arguable. That's arguable. I think it did hurt the card. Didn't need to be booked. It gave guys work, right? It fills spots on the card. Uh, it, it was cold by and large and look at the chemistries of the match. How could the match looking at the individuals and the bodies and the age, et cetera, et cetera, the limitations, how could it have been good? It could not, that match would not have, that match in that form should not have been booked. Dark match. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's decent talents. There's just. There was just no angle going. There's no hard story. JYD's best days were long gone. Ivan was getting limited because of his age. The Russian assassins, the best, the, you know, uh, Jack victory was in that group. He's a, he's a damn good hand, but you know, he was, he was a, uh, he was a mask guy 
that was perceived as a preliminary team. They weren't main event level guys. And Paul Jones had been, you know, it was a good, a real good manager, but he'd been kind of downgraded to C level, like C as in Charlie. So I, I didn't think that match needed to be booked. And I think Jimmy looked back at some of his guys that he'd been around him for a long time and, and trying to get guys work and he, he booked it. So it would not have been my choice. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, the next match, because this is one that I found very interesting. I was really looking forward to it, but I thought it was too long. Mike Rotundo is going to lose the NWA TV title to Rick Steiner. Uh, Kevin Sullivan is here above the ring in a shark cage, which is always fun. Uh, Meltzer liked it, gave it three and a half stars. And he would write, they had lots of heat early and the execution between the two was great. Although the pacing was more deliberate than in the earlier matches due to, or during the early part, the match picked up about the 10 minute mark where they did a hot spot ending with Steiner taking an incredible bump out of the ring full speed. And here's the, the quote that's, that tickled me. Steiner is one of those guys who either legitimately is so tough that he can do anything to himself and it doesn't knock the wind out of him, or he's just plain insane. Probably a little bit of both. Uh, what'd you think? Meltzer would say that the place popped like crazy for the finish, but she says made it very unique. And, uh, it was such a sustained pop that it made Steiner a stronger baby face in the eyes of the fans. I agree with that. Uh, well, regarding the match being too long, can't disagree with that Conrad. I thought it was a little bit too long myself and I was there and called it. But there's a lot of parity here and a lot of negotiation that goes on about who gets how much, how much time do we have? So you go back and look at Williams and Sullivan. They got 16 minutes, 1550. Okay. Uh, the midnight, the, the express, uh, battle got 1726. So a minute difference, minute and a half. And then you got, uh, the, uh, uh, the master Steiner, those guys got what 17, you said. Something like that. Yeah, 17, so, 15, 17. So you're, there's a lot of negotiation going on. So I think what Jimmy probably figured out is just, just to give these guys a, let's make everybody half-ass happy and kind of parody the time limits. And some guys, even though they won their argument and got their 17 minutes, approximately year and a, uh, they may not be able to, to do 17 minutes of entertaining product. The fact that, uh, he gave six forty seven to the Russian assassins, Koloff and JYD, uh, was, uh, an evidence. It was evidence that he knew that this was a bad booking. And th- there's also a story about that. He may have, this match may have been booked and maybe been advertised before Crockett got the final final. I don't know, but sure as hell don't hurt my feelings to get the eraser out the most powerful weapon in wrestling and, and fix that problem. But do you see what I'm saying? There's the backstage, the negotiations for over time. All, all those guys trying to lobby for the most time because they think they have more time they can get over because they're egomaniacs and not recognizing the fact that sometimes you're given too much time that you can't look great doing. No argument for me. The next match, more of the same. We're going to get uh, a long match here, but this time it's, uh, definitely a clash of styles compared to what we just saw, but they still pull it off. Barry Windham is going to be defending his United States championship against Bam Bam Bigelow. And of course they get 16 minutes, 17 seconds. <laughs> w- Windham retains. He wins by count out though. And Meltzer would say in a match, which showed that Windham is the heir apparent to Ric Flair's longtime role as the best all around wrestler in the business. 
not only does Wyndham have the work itself down pat, but he's developed into an excellent smug heel over the past few months and has improved his work to where he can carry a good wrestler to an excellent match and most anyone else to a good match as well. Well, he'll get to prove his medal in January since he's booked with JYD in the main event throughout the Atlantic coast. Uh, Meltzer gives this three and three quarter stars. And this really, if you're, if you're sort of sleeping on Barry Wyndham as a great performer, you know, anybody you shouldn't, say, you shouldn't, anybody can say, well, go watch his match with Ric Flair here or there. This is Bam Bam Bigelow. Not to say that Bam Bam couldn't go, but a much different style worker, a much different size worker. I think in a lot of time, 16 minutes, 17 seconds. What'd you think of, um, Meltzer's comments that, you know, Wyndham's going to be the heir apparent and seemingly a natural. He wasn't from what I understand known to be a great gym guy. He just <clears throat> had incredible cardio and an, an uncanny sense of timing and always found himself in the right spot. Yeah. Good DNA, you know, black Jack was specimen, big athletic, super heavyweight guy, 300 pounder that could, you know, great football player. Bear Bryant tried to recruit Barry's dad, black Jack Mulligan to come to Texas A&M back in the day, highly recruited, you know, Bob Wyndham, you know, big time lineman that bear coveted, but, uh, I don't know if grades or whatever else, the Marines or something got in his way. Barry's a natural man. That's all you, you know, you can, that's easy as covers. It's easy way to say something that maybe, what does it really mean? Uh, it means that he adapted to things quicker than others. A natural is somebody that can learn something once and it sticks with them. It becomes, uh, just absolutely automatic. And Barry sometimes was amazingly profound at being automatic and in a very, very good way. So yeah, I could see that, that, uh, being made. I probably would have said the same thing at that point in time. Uh, but we find out going forward. And I think that Barry found out, you know, the, the, uh, the, the onus of being the top guy is not for everybody, but as far as bell to bell. Barry Wyndham was, uh, when he was on, he was as good as, as good as there is. And so I know a lot of fans that are younger now listen to our show that are, have grown up with other brands, other talents. Uh, you should really invest in a minute or two, go back and watch this show and watch how Barry and Bam Bam Bigelow had a strong match that Barry should have won by pinfall. That's that old protecting. We might do this. Just don't have a confrontation. I never, I hated that. I hated that. Scott Bigelow could, could not have cared less who he put over. And if he had none, people say, Oh, I don't know about that. Money talks. You're here. WCW. Here's what we want you to do tonight. But of course, if you're a good booker, you, they know what they're going to do before they get there. So, uh, you don't tell somebody in surprise. Oh, by the way, tonight you're going to do blank. You let them know. They can prepare. If you don't, you're an idiot as a booker. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I think Barry was the fire went out somewhere to Conrad along the way. I don't know exactly what it was, what caused it, but the, the overwhelming fire, the competitive juices to be the best. And he was sitting right there. A step away was Barry just kind of the fire kind of ended up fading out. And I don't know exactly why. Let's, uh, let's talk about Bam Bam. He's going to be, uh, not with the company too much longer after this. Do you know why Bam Bam wound up leaving the promotion? I would have think that it might've been that he didn't feel good about where they were headed for him. Didn't have a creative plan for him, whoever they are. 
and pronoun boy. Are you a pronoun boy or an assassin? <laughs> I, th- I think, uh, I think he uh, probably saw the, that he wasn't figured in in a top spot or, and, or he was offered more money or could the thoughts of making more money going elsewhere. Well, we it's know one he, of the, one of the two, you know, that we know he's going to pop up, uh, in Japan and eventually he'll find his way back over to the WWF and main event of WrestleMania against Lawrence Taylor, and then bounce back to WCW. But I was always curious, you know, why he never really got the top guy spot in WCW. I mean, it seems like he could have been in a similar role to say a Vader as a top heel in the promotion was, mm-hmm. was that ever discussed or did he have some other sort of issue? What were people down on him? Why didn't he get that opportunity? I think, uh, there was a general malaise or cloud or haze surrounding, uh, bam, bam that told some that might not know him real well, that he was not reliable. He, he was not, he was maybe a better word to say than unreliable is he was unsettled and because of the contractual stat, status, how these guys came to the business and guys being free, uh, uh, independent contractors, et cetera, et cetera, did not lend to a lot of uh, brand security, unless you got a, a guaranteed check or contract, which very few had in that era, very, very few. So I think he was just kind of unsettled and, uh, there was this fear that, uh, you were going to lose him once you started investing and somebody saw how good he was because he was, he was very good. He's a man event guy, no doubt. Uh, and of course you could say this, well, the way to solve that is you pay him. You put him on paper, you, you guarantee his contract and you pay him. How hard is that to figure out? But because of the indecision, the short sightedness, not looking at the big picture, you don't toss away 300 plus pound athletic super heavyweights with a tattooed skull. I'm sorry, folks. You just don't do it. We're in the land of bigger than we're the, in the land where the land of the giants are bigger than the life characters, the bigger than the life costumes and all that stuff. And he was everything in that package. You don't let that guy leave. He said, well, I don't know what we're going to do with him. Well, they'll go figure it out. You fucking idiot. You know, how about that? So that's a, that's what I would think. You know, he's, he was just, he saw that he felt it and he's been around a street smart guy. Asbury park, New Jersey. He's been around the block. He just decided I'm, I see the handwriting on the wall. I'm going to go work and make guaranteed money. And that's and Japan was offering guaranteed money and they had had great success with foreigners like Stan Hansen and Dr. Death. Uh, coming in and making an impact big, big guys. So cursor, Jerry Blackwell got a run or two, several runs there. They liked size there because they can, when you beat the guy that's bigger than you, uh, as a, as a Japanese competitor, you're bigger in your home country. You're a bigger local hero, national hero. So that's all those guys were doing. So he was, he was, uh, he was valuable in that regard. So, uh, it was just the lack of foresight. And big picture planning, and I'm sure somewhere along the way, Conrad, some goddamn politics rub their their head. And of course, in the booking world, unless you're the owner, uh, you can't impeach these bastards. Let's talk about the next match. Somebody who is going to be impeached a a bit. It's Dusty Rhodes. He's going to be teaming with Sting. They're going to challenge for the tag titles with the Road Warriors. Of course, the Road Warriors retain after a DQ. 11 minutes and 20 seconds. 
Meltzer would say, did you notice that Dusty didn't even wear the eye patch under the ring? It was quite obvious that even though it was Dusty's angle and Dusty should have been the focal point of the match, that the crowd popped whenever Sting was in and deadened when Dusty was involved, even when the Road Warriors went back after the eye. The move of the night was when Animal was sent outside the ring and Sting went over the top rope with a cross body block outside the ring and the camera was in position to do the move justice. <laughs> Sting does one of those flying moves made for guys who weigh 50 pounds less than he does on every pay-per-view show and like clockwork up until this time, the camera always seems to miss the move. Uh, Dusty did his annual drop kick as well during the match. Uh, he gives the match two and three quarter stars. Uh, you can imagine that the, uh, the finish is not going to be well received. Meltzer would say, even though this was one of the old NWA style finishes, nobody I talked with seemed to mind because nobody was thinking a title change in the first place in this match. And nobody expected that there would be a finish here. It feels like Meltzer for whatever reason, not a big dusty guy here, Mm-mm. you know, especially when he says the phrase like annual drop kick and, you know, uh, every time sting was in, they were going nuts and then they were dead when dusty came in. And then he says, nobody expected to finish. They were used to that with dusty. Um, what'd you think of the match? And is, is Dave being fair here? I, I don't know that, you know, I know Dave friendship and, uh, and, uh, relationship in general with Rick was pretty prominent. I don't think that ever existed with dusty and I may be wrong. So I don't think that, uh, uh, as, as it relates to the Dusty and Flair issues, or issue, whatever you, however you want to term it, that uh, Dave would is completely objective because of where he stood on the matter. And he makes some very valid points. Listen, uh, the Wyndham Bigelow match was a disqualification. The next match was a disqualification. That is not good booking. You don't, you don't book back-to-back DQs. You just don't. And then, so someone said, well, why? I don't know why. Why was the fucking sky blue? God damn it. You don't book back to back disqualifications or count outs. And if you got a, a baby face, you're trying to get sympathy on, you can shortchange the whole damn storytelling by letting him look strong and having a DQ, but it doesn't work for the story you're telling the story you're telling the road warriors by hook or crook should have beat dusty. He needs to drop to the very bottom of the barrel to work his way right back up to the top. He went halfway down the barrel and he came back. Didn't work. I didn't like the match. Well, what is working here? Sting still very new to the business in here with through bona fide stars and legends. You know, the idea is you use your older talent to get your younger talent over. Boy, that yep. worked in a big way for sting here. Did it not? No, nothing. Steve Borden was never given the respect that he rightfully deserved and earned many, many times over in WCW. Why do you think that people are still talking about Steve Borton deserves that one great match to go out on? And that should be the undertaker. It should be at WrestleMania. It should be the main event. It should go on last all this grandiose stuff. And look, I would be for any of that. Quite, I love both Mark Calloway and Steve Borton are two of my best friends. If they both believe they could have a great match on today's standards, on their standards of today, then have at it. But I don't know that the what the audience's expectations are going to be, and they may be unfair expectations. 
But in any event, Sting was never given his due in all the years of service, in my opinion, in WCW. And yes, he made a lot of money. And yes, they paid him a lot of money. But career-wise, and just the feel of the game situation, he he didn't get a great sh- a great shake there at WCW. More often than not, yes, sometimes, yeah, but more often than not, he was taken for granted, and I think that's wrong. Let's get to our main event. Uh, before we do, I want to ask Road Warriors: Once upon a time, most over team in the biz, and now they're heels. Do you like them as heels? What did you think about their heel turn? Did you prefer them as babies? What would you have done? Uh, baby face team. Here's the thing. They didn't beg off. They didn't cheat. They didn't regroup. They didn't, they, they were not the kind of guys that are going to bump three or four big spots for a comeback. So why do I need them to be heels? It's the same promo. Nothing changes. I mean, nothing changes. So why, if nothing's going to change, then why are they changing characters? Because we ran out of things for them to do. Look, here's the thing. Here's what you do. The road warriors are not everyday talents. They were not everyday talents. Uh, God bless Mike. And I, by the way, I heard James Laurinaitis on a serious XM radio, uh, this over last weekend, doing some NFL sideline reporting, did a nice job too, by the way. Uh, I guess he listened to all those Hawk and animal interviews all his life. And he just got to where he was a wordsmith. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I liked him better as baby faces and he put them in there and he put them in their category. Now you can fluctuate within the category. You can tweak the category, but they're, they're in a spot. The spot is they're an attraction. They have shorter matches, basically high impact shit. They control one time. They make one big comeback and they go home. Trust you, trust me, that will work and it will, it won't work every week, but I don't need to see them every week, but keep them, keep them in a, the, the, uh, in the, in the, uh, in the arena that they're best suited to be good at is my point. And I didn't think being heels and doing what heels did in that era as re- pro wrestling villains was ever going to work for them. Never. Why should I hate them? I don't, I don't understand why I should hate them. They, what do they do? Oh, they poke dusty in the eye with a spike. Well, you know, that's just dusty. He'll be, they'll be back. They'll fight about it. There's no heat there. So I, I'd rather your question directly, baby, uh, baby faces all the way. Let's keep it moving here. Let's talk about our main event. Pretty controversial match here. Rick Flair and Lex Luger, as we said, once upon a time, it was rumored. This was supposed to be Rick Steiner. Instead, he becomes TV champion here. Well, will Lex Luger become the world champion? We find out after. 30 minutes and 59 seconds. Meltzer would write Rick Flair retained the NWA title with a pinfall victory. Yes. You read that right over Lex Luger in 30 minutes and 59 seconds. He says this match didn't contain the great moves of some of the other matches on the card and none came, but none came close for intensity and emotional involvement. And that way, this is one of those quote unquote classic matches like Flair and sting in March and Anoki Fujinami in August. The early part of the match saw Luger work over Flair's arm, which led to Luger holding a hammerlock. And when they brought outside the ring, Flair moved, Luger moved and Flair posted his bad shoulder. He turned into fast pace at 12 minutes at the 19 minute mark. Luger gave Flair a suplex and Flair barely kicked out, but it got a huge crowd reaction that nobody else on the card got, nor could they get. 
The fans really believed at that moment that the title was changing hands and they did several other near falls. I believe 15 and all, but none matched up to that one. Luger would use the figure four, but flair gets to the ropes. Of course they have the ref bump. And then Luger uses a flying body press off the top rope on flair at 22 minutes. And once again, flair kicks out at just the right time. The turning point in the match comes when flair uses a chair on Luger's knee and he hit it hard enough that it was believable. And Meltzer would say, even though flair was carrying Luger, it's probably the first time I've seen Luger in where he worked like a wrestler with a bodybuilder physique rather than a bodybuilder trying to be a wrestler. He absolutely either belongs as a main eventer or flair is so good that we've all been totally deceived. <laughs> flair used the figure four and other pinning moves, but Luger finally got out and made the big comeback. And I should mention it was announced that Luger had dropped 13 pounds for the match. And while I'm not sure if that's true, it did appear to look it with the explanation that he needed stamina and he did go 31 minutes. And though he was drenched in sweat, it never appeared like he was about to burst. Luger did a few power moves and after executing them, started selling the knee again and the finish saw Luger have flare up in the torture rack, but flare flipped out of it and fell on Luger for the three count. He got his uh, feet on the ropes as well. Four and a half stars. Um, a lot of people didn't see this coming. They felt like this was Luger's moment that it was time for a change. And instead it's Ric Flair again. what do you think? Well, it's hard. It's hard to, it's not that hard to explain. Look, Luger got a short change to some degree. If he had been, if he had been made champion on this night, it might've worked out fine. Cause he had, he was just where he needed to be by getting pinned, uh, in such an unglamorous way, even though the story was well told, no doubt 30 minutes plus 30 minutes. Uh, as somebody said before the show, Luger's going to go 30 with flair and lose by pinfall. I said, you're crazy. That ain't going to happen. So number one, I didn't think they needed 30 minutes, quite frankly. Uh, but again, you know, we saw the, the, the follow ticking for the, for the match times, you know, and, and Jimmy's going to make sure and give Jimmy Crocs going to make sure and give Rick everything Rick wants. I, I can see that, but sometimes you got to protect Rick from Rick and Rick didn't need a half an hour to beat Lex Luger. But in hindsight, the Luger, the whole Luger thing kind of crescendoed and was never really regained. In my opinion, the peak, the feel of how good he could be. But, but here's the other thing about it. Then maybe the most important thing, Lex can't wrestle Rick every night. Can he lead a match? Is he a well enough burst and with a skill set as a pro wrestler to lead a match and help get other people over like flair has gotten him over to this point. And that was still in work in progress, by the way. So the answer to that is no. So I, I think the finish went the right way, quite honestly. Uh, but. You know, that we'll never know, you know, unfortunately, but you know, we'll never know. But uh, I just didn't think Lex was ready for that role. And it's just for me, I had no vote in it, but looking back at it, Flair was a difference maker, man. He was so damn good that, uh, we forget how good. And he made us forget that Lex Luger was a very average guy at that time with an amazing, phenomenal physique with a lot of charisma, but with very base at best fundamental wrestling skills. And can you take a guy with fundamental wrestling skills with a very limited move set? And I know what you're thinking folks. Well, I do that with Hogan and make them a champion. 
Hogan had the privilege and the opportunity to learn in the territories. And Terry Bollea took advantage of that, working with a lot of guys and a lot of those great Southern heels love working with this big ass, uh, uh, baby face, the bigger he was and they beat him. They made them look tougher. Same thing on the other side. If he was a, if Sterling golden was a great, big jacked up uh, heel and the, and the, and the territory and the baby face, i.e. a Jerry Lawler or somebody could vanish that great big guy. It put the baby face over even more. So Hogan learned his skills, uh, but he still had the limited moose set, but he learned what he, he learned what he could do well and what he couldn't do well. And so I don't know that, but he had, he had the, but Lex did not have that opportunity to learn in that arena and that Lex never visited that classroom. And that was always going to be a problem for him. It's an interesting match. It tells a great story, but the uh, finish is often going to be debated. Uh, the rematch at great American bash in July is where it seems like Lex is going to make Rick submit to win the title in the human torture rack. Baby faces would fill the ring to celebrate with Lex, but the match of course will stop because of Lex's bleeding. So Rick retains and they do a few more pay-per-view matches. Most of which you called, there was just something magic about Rick and Lex Luger. And I think when you look back over this era of the NWA slash WCW, Rick is really responsible for effectively quote unquote, making both both Lex Luger and sting. Wouldn't you agree? Oh gosh. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, but unfortunately, uh, much like the, and I don't know if it was Rick's contingent, but you can look at it this way. Was it a little bit of this? We talked earlier about Rick being willing and happy to carry dusty and Murdoch's bags in the AWA. Right. And then all of a sudden, uh, Rick, as far as bell to bell in the eyes of many, became the top guy in the business in all the business. So then you have now this scenario comes up to where you've got flair making sting a made Luger, but how far was he going to go with it? Uh, and I don't know that we ever saw that because uh, the, we didn't have a nice run with the uh, Luger and a nice run with sting as the champion. It never happened because Everybody kept comparing the early days of their reign to Nate. That's not fair because nobody is going to be like Nate. Take that's like judging, uh, uh, gymnastics in the Olympics. You throw out the high score, you throw out the low score, get an average. Well, you're going to be throwing out flair score every time. Cause he's the highest score of all. It's just not fair in that regard. So it's just ironic that flair anointed, rubbed, got over Luger and sting and his, and his various storylines, but, uh, but they did not real re- reach the pinnacle that it was, they were destined to do. And I look back at that and that's a whole nother of the story in itself of the politics of Luger and sting, especially sting. Cause I really believe that his heart was always, you know, Lex was never a wrestling fan. Sting became a fan and became a student of the game. So, uh, but a really interesting time and, and God Conrad looked back at the talent in that locker room back in those days. Jesus criminy. How hard did we have to try to screw that up? <laughs> really? I mean, seriously, man, it's just, it's amazing. So it's all good, but it was, a, it was a fun show. I give it a thumbs up. Uh, last match did it for me. Uh, I liked uh, midnights. There's a lot of things that I liked a lot. Uh, the fantastics doc and, and Kevin Sully was a uh, good, 
Not, so by, I, I like the show. I, there are things I wouldn't have booked, but you know, if, look, if something's on a card and you're skeptical of it being good and it's not good, don't be shocked. You already, you already figured it probably wouldn't be. So that's kind of how I looked at it. You know, we made the best of it. Bob and Coddle and I called it the best we could and, and gave respect to the talents. And that's what you always do. But they got to understand too, that call didn't seem as emotional. Well, you got to give us a little something. You got to write some music, man. That's a foot, foot tapping, you know, knee slapping, uh, head bobbing music. That's how you get a great lyric. If you ain't doing that, then we can't sing with you. Well, we appreciate you guys singing with us this week. We'll be back next week for something totally different. Jim, let's see how this tickles you next week here on the show. We're going to have you sit down and watch the nitro where they did finger poke of doom. And that same yep. week, the day before we'll have a watch along with Tony Schiavone, where he watches Mrs. Foley's baby boy, win the world title. So the very show where he said, oh, that'll put some butts in the seats. He'll watch. And then you get to watch what they presented that night. That's a fun idea. The voice of raw watching nitro and the voice of nitro watching raw. Come on. Yeah, we'd be good. Well, I like, it. I, I, I've never seen that show. So it'll be new programming to me. And, uh, well, well, that's, well, that's a fun with it. No doubt about it. We could gut and quarter everybody we want. We could rebook the territory. We can go, we could go defecate on their legends. It's wonderful. Hey, Conrad, seriously, <laughs> I'll, I want to thank, uh, uh, my little website. We started, uh, jrsbbq.com where we're selling our sauces and Absolutely. ketchup, mustard, jerky, seasoning, all that good stuff. Uh, we, uh, killed it during the holidays and we're still getting orders. So those that like our products could now have a st- place to get it, uh, and not just for gifts, but for, you know, regular use, uh, which we greatly appreciate. But, uh, jrsbbq.com. I uh, did about 500 orders, uh, in our inaugural first two weeks. And we, we don't have a lot to judge it by, but we believe that to be very good. And we're keeping people busy that's working with us. And uh, so, uh, I just want to thank the folks for doing that, uh, and helping us out being aware of it. Uh, and it's, it's much appreciated and it's a great, uh, legacy, uh, uh, honor, honorarium for me to give my mother and my wife, Jan, because it was their they were so huge in this whole creation of this damn thing. So, uh, especially Jan and my mother created the original sauce. So it's all good. So thank you guys for that. And I, I don't get mushy here, but, uh, it meant a lot to me here at the holidays. And we're going to have fun next week when we, as, as Jr said, defecate on their legends right here next week on <laughs> grilling Jr with the voice of wrestling, Jim Ross. We'll see you next week right here on Westwood one. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.